welcome to episode 1754 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined to ease you into the Ben Limberg list month ahead by another Ben, Ben Clements. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I'm feeling some some like stirring of fan feeling, and it's it's unusual. It's been a little while since I've had that experience. We are going to talk about some of the, the work that you've done for the site over the last week in a little bit here, but I thought before we talked about how good our playoff odds are, we could talk about the current state of the playoff race, because despite the divisions all being pretty well decided except for the NLS, we have... Something of a of a barn burner here, a late season barn burner. This is very exciting. Well, I don't think you're supposed to burn stuff in the Pacific Northwest anymore. <laughs> no, we, we frown on that now. But as we are recording this on Friday, we currently have a three-way tie for the... Well, we have a two-way tie. We have three teams in wildcard position in the American League. The Yankees are holding on to their first wildcard spot. And the Mariners, having not had to play yesterday, had a great Thursday. And uh, by virtue of Boston losing to the Orioles, have, have snuck in to tie the Red Sox for the second wildcard spot. Yeah, and the Blue Jays losing is a big deal, too. Yeah, yeah. The Blue Jays are now officially a game out. They were not able to pick up any ground against the Yankees. So, well, and then I guess before we before we get to the AL, we should also just note that the the Dodgers, the poor Dodgers. You know, we have to feel so sorry for them. Just keep winning, <laughs> it's been and a rough it keeps, few years for them. Yeah, and it keeps not mattering <laughs> because the Giants keep winning too, despite the best efforts of some not good teams. So, yeah. let's start with the American League. I, I guess like the first thing I'd ask. Ben is like what are what are your expectations for how this weekend is going to play out well probably the Red Sox will lose a game they shouldn't yeah that seems to be the thing that they do yeah um their just inability to move anywhere in these standings like they've just dropped a lot of very winnable games at times and it looked like they could just pull away the Orioles series is a great example but I feel like they've done that a bunch yeah so I think that they'll probably lose a game that they shouldn't. I'm sure that's not the right way to say it, but it, it just feels that way. I think the Angels are pretty checked out, but, you know, they're they're going to put a whole team out there and show Hiotani's a pretty good hitter, even though he right. won't pitch. Right. I don't think I'm smarter than a coin flip, but I'm going to say I want the Mariners to win. So I have no idea if that's right, but it'd be a lot more fun. Yeah, I guess. Well, where do you stand on the sort of attractiveness of chaos? Are you rooting for tiebreaker games? Is that something that is exciting to you? Are you a tiebreaker guy? (laughs) Yes, 100%. (laughs) Well, unless my team's in it, and then no, not at all. Well, and you don't have to deal with that. Ben, the last time you were on this podcast, uh, when you you filled in for me in co-hosting duties while I was on vacation, I, I think that other Ben... Oh, now see, he is other Ben while he is on leave. Now you are the prime Ben. He's been Mm. replaced. I think that he asked you if you guys needed to talk about the Cardinals, and your impression was that, no, you did not need to do that. (laughs) That that is accurate. I may have been hasty. Yeah, because then they ripped off a 17-game win streak and secured the second wild card. Before we go back to the undecided races, like, how are you you feeling, Ben? (laughs) It's pretty great. I'd feel better if the Dodgers weren't just looming. Yeah. As a tough wild card game, but it's one game, which is the ideal way that you want to face the Dodgers. Right. I'm glad that it's gonna be Adam Wainwright pitching. Yeah. And it's gonna be really fun. I you know, I they're obviously not favored in that game, but oh. it's gonna be great to watch. And 
you know, uh, there's been a lot of Cardinals Dodgers postseason clashes through the years that I have fond memories of. I hope I get another. Yeah. But I don't expect I'll get another, but I, I'm still very happy to hope for it. If you had your druthers, which of the Giants or the Dodgers would you hope to face in that wild card? Because I guess technically the oh, Dodgers. Dodgers. Really? Yeah, you don't want to play the Dodgers in a five-game series. Blech. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that's true. <laughs> okay, so we will have the Yankees up against Tampa Bay. We will have Boston up against the Nationals. And then, as you noted, Seattle goes up against the Angels, where they will face just the overwhelming rotation of Jose Suarez, Jonathan Diaz, and Reed Detmers. What oh that Angels team. I mean, it's it's not a it's not the worst thing for the Mariners that they don't have to face Otani, but man, the Angels are not very good. <laughs> I'll tell you this, it's better than it looked yesterday when they were facing Suarez, Diaz, and T B D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they just get read. So you expect that it will be Yankees Mariners for our ultimate wildcard clash? Expect is an interesting word, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, I very much hope it is. If you could pick any of the four, and by four I mean we'll we'll leave Toronto in here for a minute. Like what what is your ideal American League wildcard oh, matchup? Mariners Blue Jays. Yeah. I've converted people to this cause, I feel. I think if you're a Yankees or Red Sox fan, then I see why you don't like the second best matchup is probably Yankees Red Sox. Okay. But I'm pretty tired of the Yankees and Red Sox. Yeah. And that, that's I'm not tired of the Mariners or Blue Jays, so yeah, it would be hard to be tired of the Mariners. They would have had to have, <laughs> they would have had to really be annoying in order for us to be tired of them. Like, this they, team only has a zero point four percent chance of winning the World Series. They're sneaking into the second wild card. <laughs> I just uh <laughs> we're we're subtweeting via podcast, which is, you know, a very of the moment thing to do, I suppose. But it is really interesting when people decide to to go onto the twitter.com and say like hey you guys uh this thing that you're really enjoying and that hasn't happened in a long time aren't you embarrassed that they haven't been a better team <laughs> yeah i understand taking a long view and saying man this team has not been great at right. building a good roster for a long time and that seems bad yeah i would maybe not say that during an exciting playoff run that might right. break a long playoff drought yeah. i don't know just spitballing yeah, I think that we are in an interesting era of like the let people enjoy things discourse sort of evolving because I think that it's like there's no need to harsh somebody's vibe if they're having a good time in a way that isn't like hurting them or someone else. I think that sometimes that sort of transmorgifies into people saying like, no, you have to like this thing and enjoy it even if you naturally don't, even if your instinct is not to find it compelling. And like that can be grating too, but it's a 20-year playoff drought, man. Like we can't be choosy. And I think that the folks who look at a team like Seattle and recognize its holes and recognize all of the many ways in which it is improbable for them to have gotten to this point and that they're doing it anyway, like you really get to enjoy it then you're appreciating how strange it is like we talked about this with Kevin on chin music it's like if you if you know what the what the average team in this situation does if you know what a team with a negative 48 run differential typically does which is not play meaningful baseball the last weekend of the season then then in some ways you just are having an even better time cuz you're like wow yeah, you're this free is, rolling yeah this is great it's like i i i have nothing to lose here i am dealing with house money 
Okay, so that is the state of the American League. I guess we should talk briefly about Seattle and sort of how they've gotten here. Jay outlined this in great detail today for Fangraphs, but what is your sort of grand unified theory of of the Mariners and how they have arrived at this place? I get to ask you this question after being asked this question on a different podcast. Okay, my grand unified theory of the Mariners is that they have, I don't know, two-thirds of a good team. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Some sure. somewhere between half and three quarters of a good team. They're, they've got a few <laughs> holes, but teams that have a few holes are definitely capable of playing like good teams when right. the people who are kind of the weaker links in the chain are hot, and the rest of the team is playing as expected. Or if someone gets just you know insanely hot and is one of the good players, they can make up for some of the holes. Right. Kind of like what Abraham Toro did when he first came to the Mariners. Sure. Kelnick's maybe doing that now. Yeah. But I don't think that this Mariners team is a you know a a true talent 89 win team and i don't really care they're not going to be the same team next year they'll probably be better next year they've got interesting players coming up hopefully i don't know yeah. they, have, they have a lot of pitching in the pipeline yeah and uh, julio as well mm-hmm. so i don't think there's any reason to really be super worried about the future of the mariners and the present is that they're tied for a playoff spot right so great <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's fair. We might end up with like a, uh, you know, really exciting Paul Seawald postseason moment and what a time that would be. I think the ideal... Sorry, Mets fans. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Really kind of a a rough go (laughs) when you think about some of the key pieces of this Mariners team, both now and in the future, and ones that have been helpful with a hot streak in the last little bit. It is sort of not the best for the Mets. The Mets uncovered these two hidden gems in Paul Seawald and Jacob deGrom, and now one of them will be in the playoffs. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, you guys thought that the worst part of the season was going to be watching Jared Kelnick, but surprise, it's actually Paul Seawalt. <laughs> well, I think that kind of takes us to some of the stuff that you've been writing this week, which is we've noticed at Fangraphs and other places that people are really feisty about the playoff odds this time of year. Yeah, people don't like probability. That, that's an unfair way of saying it. Probability is very hard to grasp. Yeah, and that's, that's a better way of putting if it. If you're not careful, myself included, you look at something and then an outcome that was not the, you know, the center of the probability mass happens and you're like, well, what? No, come on. You said that couldn't happen. Right. Now, we don't have it as bad as, I don't know, like all politics, but right. <laughs> it's kind of a, a microcosm of the same thing. Yeah. You've anticipated a question I have, which is if we can think of the sort of psychological explanation for how people interpret and react to to this stuff because it seems like every year we put out odds and most of the time our odds do not have to butt up against like extended runs that dramatically alter them to quite the degree they seemingly have this year right like I can't remember a recent run where we had what happened with the Blue Jays what happened with the Cardinals and then what has happened with Seattle all sort of coalesce in the same month I'm sure that I'm forgetting something very obvious but like those three teams underwent really dramatic shifts in their playoff odds and have continued to, right? Like Toronto went from 5% to 50% and now they're down um, significantly with their loss to New York yesterday. So, you know, they get they get bandied about and sort of buttressed by real life and people react to that by assuming that, that they have been wrong this whole time and that the model is sort of missing something. I don't want like people to encounter it and be made to feel bad for being skeptical of that right. stuff, right? It's like, good that's, to be skeptical. You shouldn't right. just... We're not just making these numbers up, but you do want to pay attention to the man behind the curtain. 
Oh, yeah. Because sometimes you have, you know, an improbable 17 game winning streak where you have, you know, the Blue Jays basically not losing for a month while their direct rivals were were losing pretty badly. But sometimes there is something actually wrong with the model. Like we are we are not above admitting that like stuff can can occasionally require tweaking. You know, you want the reason that the model is wrong to be a strange an unexpected event rather than it not being rigorous or sort of well thought through and designed in some way. <laughs> yeah. I would argue that there's a difference between the model being wrong, which is right. where you have like some biased inputs or incorrect inputs that are right. making it noisier than it needs to be. And, you know, an outcome that was not the mean probability of the model predicted. Obviously, the model had some runs where the Mariners made the playoffs because right. they weren't 0%. Right. But we said, oh, most of them didn't. Right. Because, you know, again, this team yeah. is being is behaving rather strangely it's and, unusual yeah. to win as many one run games in a season where we're also like blown out all the time it's just a, a strange yeah. set of circumstances for them and to me this is why probability is just hard to grapple with because yeah. we only get to see one right and it's very easy to do some you know post hoc reasoning here where it's like well this happened so clearly it, it happened for a reason right and i think that's often the case that you can ex post point out things that made this happen i just think that those things aren't always predictive beforehand right. and that's why it's good to have the model to kind of sanity check you where you say you know we should have seen this 17 game winning streak coming well i mean probably not right but that doesn't mean it can't happen it happens sometimes right exactly i think that you know we can be forgiven for not thinking that a team that had been sort of i don't know what they were like basically a 500 team yeah i think they were like 69 and 68 at some point or something like that Right. And even in the case of the Cardinals, I mean, them winning 17 in a row certainly buoyed their odds pretty significantly. But even that didn't happen. Even those that shift in odds wasn't occurring in isolation, right? They also had their main competitors either be bad and lose or really tread water. And that combination of things coalesced to them having the second wildcard spot. Yeah, the Reds being 82 and 77 is not something I expected. Forget yeah. where the Cardinals ended up. You know, they obviously ran away with the wildcard race. I didn't think the Reds would win less than 86 or 87 games, and they just can't now. Well, so before we get into what you wrote this week to sort of back check and and verify our playoff odds and sort of examine where they have done well and where they have been sort of less good relative to other models, I did not prepare you for this question. But what teams have surprised you most this season? So I'm trying to think about the season as a whole because sure. in the last month, it's been, you know, the teams that have gotten really hot. On the season, I'd say the Twins probably surprised me most. Oh, sure. That's fair. Oh, boy. They're <laughs> really bad. Yeah, 71 and 88 as we are recording. Man. They did, you know, junk all their good players yeah, or a lot of that. their good players at the trade deadline and then played better. So that, I guess, means that they're kind of not maybe as bad as they started the season. Right. And just getting unlucky because they were just really down and out early in the season and they just never came back. But they got a lot worse interseason. Uh, aside from that, uh, the Mariners. Not to say that, you know, I thought the Mariners would have a 89 win season. Obviously, I didn't think that. I did kind of think they'd be a around zero run differential team. Yeah. But hey, the wins count. Like, who cares about run differential? Right. If you're winning, run differential is not even an incredibly good way to predict future results. You kind of no. want to look at underlying talent and, you know, okay, they're, they don't have the best underlying talent either. Right. Um, but <laughs> I guess my point is those two teams have surprised me the most. And as much for their quality of play as their record, I think that the Mariners have been better than I thought they'd be. Yeah. And I also definitely think the Twins have been a lot worse than I thought they'd be. 
Yeah, gosh, they sure have. And they were bad. I, I think the part of the Twins season going the way that it did that surprised me the most was the speed with which it went sideways, right? Like there was never yeah. a there was never really a stretch with Minnesota where you're like, oh, this is a good team. Like this is the division winner. Like we like not everyone, but like a lot of us predicted this is the team that is gonna come out at the central. Like they just never really got going in a way that made you think that they were gonna be able to steer out of the skid. And it really did surprise me. Like if I look at am I able to pull this up quickly? Yeah, I sure am. I know that everyone really enjoys me clicking around on leaderboards. That's their favorite activity I do on the podcast. Like they were nine and fifteen in April. They were thirteen and sixteen in May. They were eleven and fourteen in June. Yeah. They were eleven and sixteen in July. They're only winning month was august and they went 14 and 13 yeah they're 27 and 27 since the trade deadline so after yeah. they jettisoned two of their best players right they've played 500 they've ball. been fine <laughs> and so i think that lends some credence to the fact that they just were in a just an ungodly funk at the beginning of the year yeah they were outscored by a lot of runs they yeah. didn't they didn't just lose a bunch of one run games they were really bad and then since then they've been better not good but better that's why you might not think of them for the, the surprise of the season because they did all their surprising early. Right. But I think taking the whole season arc as a whole, they, they'll they stand out as the like, whoa, what happened here? The Giants. Actually, I guess I should put the Giants ahead of the Mariners. That was, yeah. uh, that was overlooked because I'd been thinking AL. The Giants are my second most surprising team, maybe even first, like pretty much tied with the Twins. Those have been yeah. the two really, wow, look at these standout teams this year. Yeah, Seattle. Seattle is is up there. I think that the <laughs> the chart that Jay included in his piece that I found to be the most illuminating and strange was he did largest gaps between actual and and Pythag Pat win percentage, and Seattle really is just at the top of that list. <laughs> like the twenty twenty one Mariners are there, and then the next team is like the 1905 tigers and you know there are modern teams there too like the rangers in 2016 and the padres in 2017 but it is a it is a pretty it is a pretty dramatic overperformance relative to expectations so i guess we have to put them there but yeah the giants yeah they kind of came out of nowhere they're they're playing 660 baseball yeah they've scored 200 more runs than they've allowed that all sounds not like what i expected the giants to do this year yeah, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. I wonder if Buster Posey just is making the case for all of us to be able to take sabbaticals in our professions to come back refreshed and and better than we have been in years. Like is he just proposing a new labor policy? Yeah, come back fresh. Us? Yeah. I mean, when your knees don't feel like they're filled with lava as a catcher, I bet it's it's easier to be spry. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your your research here because this was illuminating. I know that you were a little bit nervous when you embarked on it that you would find a bad result, but thankfully for all of our listeners, you found a good one. So because we have we have met with this been met with this skepticism around the playoff odds and people are sort of working through uh, what we just talked about, the the human instinct to sort of not believe that the process is sound when we see an extreme event that alters our probabilistic thinking, you thought, I'll go back and check and make sure that the playoff odds are performing as they should. So how did you go about this process and what did you find? Yeah, so we keep everyday's playoff odds in a giant database somewhere. And I got that from Sean Dolinar and just checked every day. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a data lift for him, I suppose, but not a huge one. And a lot of the work was just saying, all right, which teams made the playoffs? All right, let's look at all the times we forecasted them throughout the year. Let's 
now kind of collate it and look at it in different ways. Because one problem with this is that it's not an intuitive thing to graph or, hey, is this model good? Well, it predicts things right on average, but how important is that? And like, how well on average? That stuff is hard. But the general findings are, it does a pretty good job. It does better than using season to date stats. It does much better than treating every game as 50-50, obviously. And it is especially good at beating those models early in the season when very few games have been played. Because after 161 games, it's a lot easier to project the rest of the season. Sure. And after 150 even, it's a lot easier to project the rest of the season. But after one or two games, the season-to-date stats, which are mainly using last year's stats at that point, and the coin flip stats, which are flipping coins, just don't really know who's going to be good or bad. Whereas our model has done a really good job in the last seven years. If it thinks a team is unlikely to make the playoffs early in the season, it's mostly right. Right. And if it thinks a team is very likely to make the playoffs, it's mostly right. And it's willing to do that more than any kind of more naive assumption. And that has paid off for it. So what I would say is that our odds look really good relative to basically the sanity check test of like, well, this team's up and it's early and they were good last year, so they should be good. And it looks really good relative to like, well, any team who's up five in their division usually wins, those kinds of things. It just, it does a good job of what it sets out to do, which is use zips and steamer to figure out how good it thinks players are and use how good the players on a team are to figure out how good a team is and then forecast the season. It has basically done what we think it's done. I'd say better than I expected. Yeah. Well, where are the places, though, where it has done less well than you had expected it to? Sure. So the two things that I think are the like the places where we can improve it in a reasonable way without completely overhauling the way it's done right. is, so firstly, we use point forecasts for how good a team is. So we, we take Zips's individual forecast for a player and Steamer's individual forecast for a player, their 50th percentile ones, or maybe their mean, I don't remember. We take their single one-line output and say, that's how good this player is. Yeah. And we take Jason's you know one-line plate appearances output and say, here's how much he'll play. And then we build a team's strength based on that. And then we simulate the season 20,000 times. A different way that you could imagine doing that was every player has a, a range of outcomes, somewhere on a scale from 0 to 100%. And every player has some chance of injury. And for each simulation, we roll some dice and say, oh, this player had a better than expected season. This one had a worse one. This guy's hurt. Rebuild their death charts and now run it. So that would allow for some more team variation. I'll give you an example. Like There was definitely a chance that the Giants were going to be a lot better than we thought. Right. You know, our projections were a mean projection for Buster Posey and for Brandon Crawford, and they were wrong. <laughs> they, they were just not right. Right. Those projections were bad. But the projections were unbiased, but they came out above their 50th percentile outcomes. Right. And so if we continued using their 50th percentile outcomes, which we did, we didn't predict the season. And so it wouldn't change as much as you think, because a lot of times that you have your, you know, 70th percentile outcome, so do the Dodgers. Right. And they just pass you anyway. And a lot of time that you have your 50th percentile outcome, if you're the Dodgers, the teams behind you have their 50th percentile outcome and you win anyway. But I think that would make for basically less certainty. And while I said that it's really good that our model gets certain quickly, I think regressing it back very slightly by doing this would help. Yeah. That's that's pretty small potatoes, though, honestly. It does a really good job relative to the constraints it has and with the <laughs> amount of... Uh, inputs it has it has very few inputs which is really cool right of getting there the other thing that i don't really think the model's built for but that it can struggle with is projecting the odds of playoff rounds 
And the reason for that is just because we build our team strength based off of, you know, who we think will play all year and playoff right. rosters don't really look like that. Right. It matters a lot more which of your four starting pitchers you can get to go. Right. Yeah, I think this is why having Dan's Zips postseason sort of game by game odds, which dig into and understand like who is on the roster, who is the actual starter going to be that night, right? And that construct it in a way that I think is closer to how teams actually deploy their rosters in the postseason is a nice compliment. And it it when you view those next to one another, it can be kind of illuminating for the places where I don't know that it that our odds necessarily fall down. I don't want to be as dramatic as that, but where there is difference in the interpretation and what those differences can yield in terms of the odds that you get in any given like real series between two teams, right? Yeah. I think I'm comfortable saying that our odds think good teams are too good in the playoffs. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, basically. Right. Every team gets to cull their worst players. A lot of the bad teams have more worst players to get out of there. Right. The good teams are good because they're good. And so I think that we basically overestimate the chance of teams that we projected really good going into the season. But it's a pretty small thing. And I think the much more important thing that our odds do is playoff projections. I care a lot more about our playoff odds than our World Series odds. Sure. Yeah personally. And that's definitely what the model is built for. And it does a pretty good job of that. I agree with you that it's nice to have Dan's odds there because his is purpose built for this. Right. We are literally just taking the way that we do regular season and and saying, porting it over to the playoffs. Yeah. But it's not designed for that. It's designed for regular season. Yeah. Were there particular kinds of teams that you found that we either over or underestimated in our approach? Yeah, we're pretty bad about underestimating teams that are the Rays. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that basically comes down to the the point estimates I was talking about. Yeah. Good luck writing a depth chart for the Rays before right. the season. And one thing that the Rays are just, you know, continually better than we think they are at is having a bunch of depth and rotating it where other teams lose, you know, games to injury. I mean, the Rays lose games to injury too. They just do a lot better job of having solid replacements who right. are you know credits to the team rather than below replacement level Jake Arietta's taking the innings essentially and the way that we do this with without adjusting for injuries and in depth it's going to always underestimate those types of teams yeah in a similar fashion teams like the Red Sox and Mets tend to be overrated by our model where they're very top heavy but don't have a lot of depth yeah that's probably the main takeaway in terms of what kinds of teams we've over and underestimated I do have one funny thing for you, though. Tell me. Uh, one of the types of teams that we've most overestimated before this year, because I you know, don't have the data for this year yet, right. are teams that are not very likely to make the playoffs going into September. So the exact so, opposite <laughs> scenario of what you would expect, given how people react to the playoff odds this time of year. Yeah. Basically, if you look at 2014 to 2019... So all the seasons before 2020 where the playoffs were weird and so I don't really want to take too much into it. We projected teams with less than a 20% chance to make the playoffs about 12%. So, you know, like there were a bunch of teams. They made the, we thought they'd make the playoffs 12% of the time. They made the playoffs 2% of the time. Right. We were way too optimistic on teams that were on the periphery of the race hanging on. <laughs> and I'm guessing that after this year, people will think the opposite. Right. Now, that does mean it's a noisy model. It's going to correct, sure. but it's going to correct via more errors, which is not really what you like. Right. But I don't think that's a systematic problem. I think that's just the way that the outcomes broke. And you can't build a model that on you know September 1st just has hundreds and zeros and gets them all right. Right. So there's some question of minimum average error. Right. And 
I think we've done a pretty good job of that. But to the extent that we've missed, it ironically has been that we're a little too credulous of teams that are trailing going into September. So when people get mad at us on Twitter, they should just remember that we're actually overestimating. <laughs> they, they won't? No. And I'm not even sure that they should. I don't know that they should either. <laughs> I think that they could just not get mad. That is an option that is available to us, maybe. I also think not that many people get mad. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. People like to perform as a mad person on the internet, but I'm not, I'm not sure their heart's in it. Well, and I also think that the folks who were genuinely sort of flummoxed by it, I think most of them come into conversations about it in an effort and sort of wanting to understand how a particular number is derived rather than just assuming that the model is wrong. Like, I do think that there are plenty of people who, to your point, like probabilities are complicated and, and being able to think probabilistically sort of runs counter to how we maybe are naturally predisposed to think about things as humans. And so it does take some work to be able to sit there with it and, and suss through and suss out why we arrive at what we do. And so I think most people are just trying to understand more than they are getting grumpy. But there is yeah. always th sort of this funny thing where, you know, it tends to be the the folks who are reacting to what is for them good news that sounds the most sort of worked up about it. And it's like, but this is good news for you. Like you've You've done something cool and improbable. Like, uh, you know, that's exciting. Why Why are we angry? We should be happy about stuff. Yeah. I think that one thing that is, I would say, maybe the most under misunderstood thing about odds is I don't think our odds are perfect. Yeah. But I don't think that the existence of a team like the Cardinals or like the Blue Jays or Mariners means that our odds don't work. Right. It means that they did the really impressive thing. And if you had a perfect odds system. Right. It would still have said that the Cardinals weren't very likely to go on this run, that the Mariners right. weren't very likely to go on this run. And they did. And that's really cool. I think focusing on like, well, these odds were low means that they were wrong. That's not the case. They could certainly be wrong. I'm not saying that the odds were right. But just because we ex-ante thought it was unlikely, I right. mean, it was unlikely. It was unlikely. Yeah. And so I think that the trap that you can fall into in evaluating these, and I definitely do from time to time, is basically that is saying, well, they said it was unlikely and it happened. Well, unlikely things happen sometimes. You kind of have to take a broader picture. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't change things about it in the future to smooth things out more, but it does mean that you shouldn't get too worked up about one observation. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Are there particular squads that you are most excited to watch in the postseason? I'm trying to think of teams I'm not super excited to watch in the oh, postseason. Oh, that's maybe a better way to put it. Are, yeah, are there any where you're like, ah... Old news or bah, you're bad, you're gonna get you're gonna get stomped and then it'll be boring baseball. Yeah, I'm not incredibly thrilled by the Braves. Yeah. That's no no knock on them. Just my two favorite Braves to watch are both out. Yeah. Uh, Acuna and Soroka. Like they're fun to me and they're not there. But they're not unfun, just the Brewers have been a lot of fun this year. I'm yeah. a Cardinals fan. Right. And the very likely Dodgers-Giants heavyweight fight is going to be really fun. Yeah. And so the only NL team where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, cool, they're there, is the Braves. And then in the AL, like, I guess the White Sox and the Yankees, I'm not that excited about. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, we did, like, a whole draft about this, so we don't have to rehash it. But I <laughs> have just not really felt, like, overly compelled to watch Houston, which is strange because several of the components of that team that underperformed last year are are sort of back on track this year. And so it isn't as if they lack 
for exciting players, but it just hasn't been, I don't know, for whatever reason, I have not been grabbed by them. I appreciate aspects of what Atlanta has been able to do in the face of the injuries that you just mentioned. Like, we probably will spend, you know, a good deal of time if they go on a deep run here talking about how impressive it is that they were just able to completely remake their outfield given the injuries that they sustained and how successful that has been, even if one of the pieces of that in Jack Peterson has been sort of meh. But yeah. yeah. They also did a great job of having the rest of the division be just really bad. Yeah, like no one wanted to win the East. It's really wild. The fact that it came down to yesterday is pretty is pretty yeah. spectacular. It's weird to me that they're going to have the worst record of any playoff team. I would not that have is, guessed that. Yeah. So I put this question to I've put this question to other Ben at various points, but I will put it to you. And I didn't prepare you for this question either, which is not nice of me. So you have to take a second to think about it. That's fine. What would your ideal playoff structure be? Like, would you? Do you want to hew to the division thing? Would you like reseeding? What are your thoughts on how we could maybe spice up uh, the the playoff field here? Because it is striking that like that team is going to be the worst one by record, even though they're definitely not the worst team that will have made the playoffs. Right. Well, well, it'll be close. Atlanta's better than Seattle if Seattle makes it. Yeah, we don't know if they will. They're probably they might be better than the Red Sox too. Um, yeah, yeah, I okay. think they're definitely better than than Boston. Well, I think they're better than Boston. I don't know if definitely definitely might be too strong. I picked the Red Sox to make the playoffs before the year, and I don't think anyone else did. So, I would be happy if that happened. <laughs> I don't but remember. I'd be what sad I about the Mariners if I could pick my own playoff structure. I like ten teams making the playoffs. I think lots of people don't like it. I think the the incentive of the one game play in is really nice. It really says you need to go out and win your division, beating whoever's there. Right. I don't even have a huge problem with the fact that you know the Dodgers are going to the wild card game. Well, they didn't beat the Giants. I mean, right. They played very similar schedules, and yeah. the Giants won more games. You could do some kind of reseeding, but I really like the way it's set up to where if you're in a close race, you're incentivized to just get after it, and that just isn't as likely i think if you're doing reseeding like the dodgers and giants race wouldn't be fun right now yeah like at all right if there were reseeding i guess the question would be in the cardinals braves wild card game who would have home field i don't know it wouldn't wouldn't be very thrilling is i guess my point so i i think reseeding i'm not a huge fan of i really love the one game i know baseball here purists don't because it's one game and you can go home and I, I was talking to Kevin about it yesterday. He doesn't even think they're playoffs. Oh, no. I mean, he's wrong. He <laughs> is wrong. They're playoffs. I think they're pretty clearly playoffs. <laughs> but I really like the fact that the wildcard team has a real penalty. Yeah. I think that's that's nice. And it's better by far in the old eight-team system. I thought that was kind of just a drag. Yeah. Like, if, the, if there was the eight-team system and the Dodgers' penalty was that they'd play an extra road game, well, then all they also wouldn't care about the race between the Dodgers and the Giants. Right. But instead, it's great and it's really good theater. And jockeying for home field throughout the playoffs versus literally needing to play a win and in game against a team that barely lost in September. Like, that's really high stakes. And I, I like the way it makes for extra stakes. Yeah. I think 10's a reasonable number. So yeah, I think I'd keep it pretty close to the way it is now. Maybe a seven game series in the first round. Oh. Cut a few regular season games out. 
Yeah, I'd be I would be okay with that. I I like that idea. We had a we had a listener email a little while ago that we answered about sort of how to incentivize teams to continue to win in the face of what seems likely to be expanded playoffs at some point, right? Like at some point we will almost certainly actually have a broader playoff field, even if it doesn't swell to the size that say last year's playoff field did. And they proposed using a cutoff, a record cutoff that potentially left you with an odd number of playoff teams that you would expand the field and you'd have sort of a maximum size, but you also would have to be at least a 500 team in order to make the playoffs. How would that work if you have an odd number of teams? Some kind of round robin? Yeah, we decided that it probably would not work, um, <laughs> was what we decided. But I liked the spirit behind the question, which was in the face of what we imagine will be a broader field that might end up being diluted and then resembling something like what the NBA does, where like half the league makes the playoffs, but we kind of know going in that the the less good teams are likely to get bounced fairly quickly to try to still incentivize teams to win in order to secure a spot. And I like that idea. Although I I think I said at the time, 500 seems like too low a bar to make them clear. Yeah. One good thing about the current cutoff is that it it seems to mostly get pretty decent teams. The team that's going to get in this season where you're like, that record should not be a playoff record is not a wildcard team. Right. And yeah, you you can't really solve the fact that sometimes divisions are bad. But even in the two wildcard era, you know, you, you want to be in the 88 to 90 win range to get the second wild card. And that's a good team. Yeah. You know, if you go, if you're 18 games over 500, I don't think anyone's like, oh, that team's trash. Right. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think so either. Yeah. Cause like this year we will have, we won't even really have any teams that are remotely close to, to just 500. Like we, we're going to be well off of that pace for this year's field. We don't need to worry about it. So, Ben, the next time I record Effectively Wild, we will be into October, we will be into the postseason, and we do this thing where we tend to forget (laughs) the regular season as soon as that happens. No one is interested in in reassessing it until we get deep into the offseason and have to come up with something to write every day. So I will ask you, is there anything about the 2021 season among teams that maybe aren't going to make the playoffs or that you anticipate will not persist into the postseason that you will be sad to see go as we get into playoff baseball? Well, I think I'm okay with this disappearing as we get into playoff baseball. But one thing that I liked this year was, or at least found interesting, was the development of a six-man rotation by a lot of teams in the league. And you guys had Rob Maines on to kind of talk about that. I think it's a pretty fascinating idea. I think it, in theory, can lead to pitchers just not being as gassed as the season goes on. And pitching injuries are just really the worst. They're a lot less fun to me than pitchers leaving games early or pitching slightly less often, but in a rotation in a way I can see. So that obviously won't persist into the playoffs. They're off days... You only use four starters instead of six. Things are kind of completely changed. But baseball's going that way, whether you want it to or not. And I actually think it's less catastrophic for the game than we think it is. It's not as bad as the decreasing amount of innings starters pitch. That's not fun. And you and Ben yeah. have gone over the reasons for that many times. But I think guys going every six days and maybe being more healthy because of that was perhaps a reaction to 2020, but one that makes sense and I think will continue into the future. Yeah, gosh. What are we all going to write this offseason when we don't have any How Will the Strange shorten season impact next year? Yeah, there's no uncertainty this offseason, so <laughs> it's just going to be tough. <laughs> we have to turn the attention of the playoff odds to uh, to the probability that we will end up with a CBA by the deadline. 
Yeah, we're going to simulate Rob Manfred's negotiation strength. Oh, no. This is like grad school all over again. Well, Ben, I imagine that we will um, force you to come back on here. And by that, I mean I will ask you nicely and you'll say, yeah, that sounds great, before other Ben returns from his paternity leave. But do you have anything on Fangraphs.com that you would like to plug before we go? Yeah, go look at a bunch of pictures of our playoff odds. And next week... Surely, though I haven't written it yet, read my defense of voting for Corbin Burns for Cy Young and why you should. Oh, you do you want to preview your defense now? We have a little bit of time. I don't does this is this a controversial take? It is. I don't think he's the Cy Young favorite. And I think that's ridiculous. I think he's he's having one of the best seasons in baseball history. I think that caring overly much about innings pitched when someone is this dominant and just consistently so yeah is really kind of misreading the situation that's basically what i'd say i just don't think that he's certainly not considered a runaway favorite and i don't even believe he's the favorite and that just seems wrong to me i think that we will look back on this season in 20 years and say wow like this is the best season that a pitcher had in the 2020s and so yeah I, i just think that people need to be a little bit more solid on that i do think burns is probably the favorite but i don't think it should be close i think that he should be more of a lock than Robbie Ray and he's just not. I find that I I only end up hearing bad like award voting discourse secondhand, which makes me feel like the the folks I'm following on Twitter are doing a really solid job because I would have just I mean I know that from like a, a war perspective the gap between him and Wheeler isn't that significant although you know when you when you notice the difference in innings pitched I think you you look at that gap a little bit differently but he's just been so incredible that I just assumed that that people thought he was he was the obvious favorite, which isn't a knock on Zach Wheeler. He's put up an incredible season too at a time when, you know, Philly just beyond their top guys did not have yeah. reliable pitching. But Burns has just been so sparkling, sparkling. Yeah. I think that this would be a much less likely win for Burns if Scherzer hadn't kind of fallen apart in the last few yeah. weeks. But I thought he was the Cy Young before that. So I guess this article's a little less urgent now that it feels like he's in the lead but right this is just this doesn't need to be complicated he's striking out more than anybody else he's walking fewer than anybody else he's giving up fewer home runs than anybody else that that's good yeah what do you i i said that we were gonna go and then i thought of other things to ask you what do you make of the scherzer thing do you think he's just tired i mean one of those starts was in colorado so it's it's also a colorado thing yeah tough place to pitch could be a little bit tired scherzer i don't know how predictive this is but he feels very streaky to me, and I have a lot of Nats fan friends, and when the Nats won the World Series, they were all convinced that Scherzer would be bad every game, and then he was good every game. Yeah. And he just, like, sometimes looks a little off, or his back is hurt, and he pitches through it anyway, because he's a crazy person. I, it wouldn't shock me if he was hiding a nagging injury right now, and just playing through it anyway, because they need him to. Max right. Scherzer pitching at 90% is a lot better than, I mean, bullpen game featuring Phil Bickford, I guess. Phil Bigford. I mean, it is. You good. are you are correct about that, but we we should probably take a moment to like marvel once again at Phil Bigford. Phil Bigford, uh, he's pretty good. Yeah. Surprisingly, I didn't expect it. He has not great hair, but pretty good pitching. Oh, where are you on where what about his hair displeases you? I'm just not a big um long unkempt locks kind of person. Sure, fair enough. It reminds me of um, the Three Musketeers. It reminds me a little too much of the Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, not great long hair combination <gasps> that the Mets had for a while. 
And See, I didn't like Syndergaard's long hair because it was stringy, but I thought DeGrom's hair was luscious. It was very shiny. He had some good curl, you know, felt like it was con- well conditioned. Sometimes when men have long hair, I'm like, conditioner exists and you should use it because then that will look better. Why don't you? If they someday do an oral history of Jacob DeGrom getting rid of his hair. Oh, yeah. I don't think they will. No. I think that the the turning point will be a Geico commercial that he did for a local market in New York where people keep mistaking him for the Geico caveman. Oh, really? <laughs> like they just recorded that with Jacob deGrom with his long hair. <laughs> and, and, it was and he just, was good with that? I guess so. But then the next year he didn't have the hair anymore. Wow. That's wild. Oh, yeah. I guess you have to distance yourself from the caveman if you've like willingly filmed a commercial like that. Anyway, Phil Bickford is an inspiring story, even if um, Ben doesn't like his hair, which we will tell Phil Bickford the next time yeah. we see him. So, sorry, Phil. That's okay. I think that um, he'll get over it when he looks at his season line. Okay. Well, now we actually shall go. can check out all of Ben's good playoff coverage in the weeks to come at Fangraphs. You can follow him at Ben Clemens, and that is underscore Ben underscore Clemens, the dreaded double underscore. You can hear him often on Fangraphs Audio, so you should check that out if uh, if you want more podcasting with Ben. And Ben, I think we're going to do some postseason streams too, yeah? That's the plan? Yeah. I don't know if we've narrowed down specific games yet. I don't think we It matters <laughs> what the actual schedule that's released is. But right. yeah, we are going to. Yeah, so you will also, at some point in the next couple of weeks, see Ben's face. Yeah, if you're so inclined, there'll be a lot of me talking either on camera or on microphone in the next few weeks. But yes. there'll be a lot of everyone at Fangraphs talking. Yes, we're we're getting into the thick of it here. Ben, thank you for easing the audience in to their brief Ben respite. I appreciate it. Ah, you're welcome. Are you going to bring on someone with the last name Lindbergh next so that we can kind of have oh, various yeah. halfways? I should. I, I, I'm going to have to do some thinking about the appropriate Lindbergh. Yeah, it's not an easy find, I guess. No. Many more Bens. So many more Bens. Just, uh, uh, we're lousy with Bens. All right, Ben, thank you very much. That'll do it for today. A couple of quick updates. First, for those of you who aren't on Twitter and didn't see Ben's announcement, Ben and his wife, Jessie, got to meet a major infant yesterday. Sloane Lindbergh was born on International Podcast Day of all days and is already decked out in Otani gear, as you might expect. Both Sloane and Jessie are doing well. Congrats, you guys. We have a quick Stat Blast update, courtesy of Lucas Apostolaris. In episode 1733, Ben did a Stat Blast on the players with the most options and recalls in a single season. At the time, Eduardo Paredes held the record. This is only since 2000 mind, mind you, but the last few years are really the options era anyhow, with 22 combined options and recalls for the 2018 Angels. But since then, the Rays' Lewis Head tied him this year, and yesterday, Albert Abreu broke the record by getting called up when Luke Voigt went on the injured list. He's now been called up or sent down 23 times this season. He hasn't pitched very well in the majors, a 5.25 ERA and a 5.49 FIP in 36 innings pitched. That's pretty understandable considering how many times he's made the trip to or from Scranton. Thank you to Lucas for that update. And thank you to you all for listening. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to keep the podcast going and get access to a few special perks. Steven Sulkin, Ross Dowker, Eduardo Zadbert, Sue W., and Sean. Just Sean. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectivelywild, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions coming via email at podcast at fangrafts.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you're a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. I'll be back next week with new guest co-hosts and new episodes, but until then, enjoy the last weekend of regular season baseball and go teams. Spending
mother found so sweet. 